listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, visit my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, 757-774-8482. Yes, indeed. This is the Fret Files Podcast. I'm Eric Daw, your guitar expert with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings, guitar nerds. Does it sound pretentious if I call myself a guitar expert? Yes. Okay. Just checking. Uh, well, if I don't say it, who's going to? You know, right. I mean, I, I, it feels funny saying that, but I suppose that I am. Uh, otherwise, why, why would I have a my own podcast about guitar repair? Well, pretty much everybody in the universe has a podcast now. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, we've got a lot of cool th- stuff to talk about. I've been working on some great guitars in the shop lately. Cool. Yeah, I refretted a 64 Strat last week, did uh, some modifications and an, an appraisal on a on a Gretsch White Falcon. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful that's, guitar. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else am I doing? I'm doing a neck reset on a... 50s Harmony Archtop Electric. I think it's a H62, I think, is the model. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. Anyway, working on some good stuff. We've got some good questions for this episode. Questions about the new Rosewood laws. Questions about nut files and how often you should replace them. Uh, Questions about cooter casters questions about filtertrons tuning problems oh man so many good questions uh there's a guy looking for a recommendation on a kind of a budget-minded archtop electric jazz guitar so we'll get to all of that but first i would like to do some news uh, but before we do that i want to tell you about what's going on around here I've got a new website, maybe you've seen it, ericdaw.com, and uh, go check it out. It really looks great. Man, I tell you, it's, it's, it's really a killer. And um, that's how you participate in the show. You go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, click the contact link, and send in your question there. I'll use it as part of the show, a question, a comment, a correction, an argument, hey, anything. Just participate. That's all I ask. Uh, the other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482, and uh, we'll use your voicemail as part of the show. What else can I tell you? You know, while you're over there at ericdaw.com, you can check out the uh, repair work that I do, the custom guitars that I make, everything in my universe. Check it out. And uh, if you need some repair work, you know, I get people sending me guitars from all over the place. I'd love to help you out if you need some repair work done, or if you want to talk custom guitars, just drop me a line. 
Uh, let's see. Shall we do some news? Yes, we shall. Guitar news. Well, sad news in the guitar world. Luthier Bill Collings of Collings Guitars died of cancer earlier this month at age 68. Collings was a widely admired guitar maker whose instruments had found their way into the hands of players the likes of Joni Mitchell, Keith Richards, Jerry Jeff Walker, Lyle Lovett, Bill Frizzell, numerous others. Collings, apparently, he dropped out of medical school to be a guitar builder. Wow. Yeah. No, he worked as an engineer for a pipeline during the day, though, so he dropped out of medical school to be... Well, so he was doing a lot of things. At, At night, he built guitars. And uh, then he met Lyle Lovett in Houston, built a guitar for him. The rest is history. Collings moved to Austin more than 30 years ago and ran his business there for decades. The company's mission statement says, It's our mission to deliver heirloom quality instruments that will provide a lifetime of value and enjoyment. In addition to about a dozen flat-top acoustic guitar models, Collings also made a few arch-tops. Several electric guitar models, mandolins, ukuleles. I've worked on a lot of his guitars over the years. Oh, really? Yeah, beautiful instruments. Really, really well made. Great stuff. So, our condolences to Bill, Bill's family, and, uh, what? No, that just sucks. Nobody should die of cancer. Cancer sucks. Yeah, and Bill's friends, and, uh... You know that's a company that I, they're they're going to continue to make quality guitars even in Bill's absence. That uh, that's uh, Collings Guitars is I'm I'm sure they're going to still be going strong. Good. Yeah, that's my opinion. In other news, U.S. retailer Guitar Center explores debt restructuring. This is from Reuters. Guitar Center and boy, it seems like this just pops up every now and then. Yeah. It seems like we've talked about this three or four times. Guitar Center Incorporated, the largest U.S. retailer of music instruments and equipment, is looking for ways to restructure its $1.3 billion, billion? Ouch. $1.3 billion in debt? You thought you were in debt. $1.3 billion in debt? Oh, my God. As music lovers move their shopping online, according to people f- familiar with the matter. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're, if you're in the know... If you're in the know, you know that music lovers have moved their shopping online. According to people who did more research than I did. Yeah. The move makes Guitar Center the latest example of a brick-and-mortar retailer facing financial distress as its stores are relegated to showrooms by consumers looking for bargains on the Internet and in big-box retailers such as Walmart. You know Fender just sells direct now? Really? You know, these places like... Uh, it's funny because these, these places like Guitar Center... Chased out mom and pop stores all over the country, yeah. And, and now they're falling. Yeah, I really think that it's going to be the small mom and pop stores that come back and pick up the slack. Well, I hope so. For things that, because you know, we're I don't know. Don't be offended if you work at Guitar Center, okay? But well, ru- the rumor is that where Guitar Center falls short is in their customer service. Uh, Again, don't be offended. Right. Maybe, well, maybe you're the exception. Maybe you're the Guitar Center employee that, that rocks. The mom and pop stores hire people who know about guitars, and Guitar Center hires people who know about sales. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Uh, in addition 
to Amazon.com, musicians can now buy their instruments online from Sweetwater Sound as well as directly from guitar makers themselves, such as Fender, which I just mentioned. Yeah, right. Guitar Center, majority owned by private equity firm Aries Management, has been having conversations with investment banks and law firms about hiring advisors to help address its capital structure with $615 million in secured debt coming due <laughs> in 2019. Man, that's... That that's, would be... Yeah, that's not that, good. Yeah, that's a looming problem. Anyhow, it's interesting to see how Guitar Center came on strong and then they... Uh, They've got big debt problems. I don't know. I, do you think they tried to do too much too soon? Um, I I don't know. What were, What do you mean? Well, I mean, it was like, you know, you know how. Not that long ago, it was rare to see a Starbucks. Yeah. And now there's one on every corner. Right. In America. Right. Guitar Center tried to do the same thing. They just they were there. They just went everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I see what you mean. Yeah. They tried to get they into every market. too thin. A lot of stores have done that. Yeah. I mean, you look at Sears. Sears is, is folding like a cheap table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's And that's going to be a low... Well, and they've been around slow, since painful, the 1800s. Yeah. You know? Right. That's going to yeah. be a slow, painful thing. I, if Sears can pull out of their tailspin, I'll be, I'll be impressed. They They won't. I don't That's think they prediction. will. I I really don't think they will. You go in there and it's like it's like tumbleweeds. <laughs> you know? Guitar Center began in 1959 as a store selling home organs in Hollywood. Oh, that's a lucrative. Uh in the 1980s the company started its Rock Walk on Sunset Boulevard, a hall of fame that pays homage to musicians including Alanis Morissette, Aerosmith, Van Halen. After a period of explosive growth, it went public in the 90s. I don't understand this. The Guitar Center began in 1959 as a store selling home organs. So they must have been organ center. That's, they couldn't have been called Guitar Center. That sounds like a place where you'd go to get your liver removed. It also sounds like some weird front <laughs> for some, some other weird business. A money laundering scheme. Oh yeah, we sell home organs down there in Hollywood. Nothing weird going Wanna on. Want to buy some crack? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you say that. <laughs> Credit rating agency Moody's Investors Service Incorporated said in April that it did not expect that Guitar Center will generate enough free cash flow in the next 12 to 18 months to materially reduce its debt and improve leverage. Well, if Moody's says it. This would not be the first time Guitar Center would undergo a debt restructuring. In 2014, the company's creditor at the time swapped its debt in the retailer for a controlling equity stake, cutting the retailer's debt by about $500 million. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what goes on there. I mean, it's a weird time. Yeah. Online, online sales are huge, but... Well... But there's something like a guitar is like a a pair of pants. I know you, you kind of have to try, try it, it on. on, right? It's like a pair of gloves or something. Yeah. 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 Anyhow, uh, I think we have a call. Shall we take a call? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, 
Hello, Eric and Melissa. Uh, love the show. Uh, hope Idaho is treating you well. I have a question about flipping a control plate on a Tele. Uh, so I have a 97 um, Fender Custom Shop, and I want to flip the uh, control plate so that the volume's closest to me. Um, but the leads don't seem long enough. And um, so I wonder if you've had experience with that. And, um, you know, if you jump the leads to where you need to solder them, how that affects tone or if you've found ways to get around that um, or what's your strategy or, you know, do you just get different pickups? Because I love these pickups that are in there. But um, looking forward to uh, hearing what you have to say. Thanks again, guys. Take care. Yeah. Do you know what he's talking about there? Uh yeah, I think so, but I can't figure out why anybody would want to flip the control. Well, plate it's around. a common modification because on a uh, so on a Telecaster, um, the switch is closest the, to the neck. Yeah, the switch is 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 right next to your hand where your hand would kind of rest. Oh, okay. And some guys like to play with the volume knob a lot when they when they play, and so it's a common mod to kind of flip that control plate around. If if you just left everything where it was, then the tone control would be where you want the volume. Oh, so, okay. so you flip the control plate around so the switch is towards the back. And then, and you, then you flip the volume and tone controls. And so you've got your volume, then your tone, and then your switch. Okay. Really common problem on that, though, if you go to do that, uh, the the wires coming off of the pickup aren't long enough. So to what's reach the, the solution? Switch. Well, you just have to um, splice in a little bit of new wire and uh, make it reach the switch. Not a big deal. And if your soldering chops are good, then you should be able to do that pretty easily. Um, the way I would recommend doing it would be... it. Well, it depends on... It depends on what kind of wire is coming off of your pickups. Usually, it's that pushback cloth wire... Right. That's pretty easy to work with. Um, if you try really hard, <laughs> you can even push back the wire, make a little splice there, solder it together, and then very carefully push the insulation back together. Oh, wow. And just about, you know... Make it invisible. Make, eh, it won't be invisible, but it'll be insulated enough to so that it's not going to short out against anything in there. The other way to do it is get a little bit of shrink tubing that it, it when you heat it up, it shrinks yeah. down onto the wire. Like a shrinky dink. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to talk about shrinky dinks. Jeez. You can't talk about shrinking tubing without talking about shrinky dinks. Um, so yeah, just extend the wires just a little bit. He asked, would it affect tone? It's really not going to affect the tone to add you know, an extra two inches of wire onto the pickup leads. It's it's just not. It's not going to affect the sound in any way. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great question. Thanks for calling. And uh, I think that's it. We just had one question. So let's get right to the uh, emails. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Do you think anybody even knows what shrinky dinks are anymore? I hope so. I haven't even thought about that for 20 years. Shrinky dinks. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're reading letters now. 
<laughs> Quit messing around. <laughs> Would you give your perspective on the site's law and Rosewood? How will this affect the new and used market? Craig Lavender. I've heard it pronounced sites and I've heard it pronounced sites. Oh. It's a treaty. It's the So what it is it what it really is, it's a it's an international uh trade agreement. It's the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Wow, I just pulled that out of your hat. I, you? Yeah, I knew it by heart. Uh, it's an international agreement between governments, and the aim is to ensure that international trade in specimens of wild animals and plants does not threaten their survival. What happened is, uh, I think it was just earlier this year, they added, you know, Brazilian rosewood has been right. on that you know, list, it's banned, basically, right. uh, uh, since the late 60s. And they just recently added all other rosewood species. However, really, it's not banned. It just has to have proper documentation in order to cross a border. So if you are getting a guitar from across a border and it has rosewood on it, that rosewood apparently now has to have documentation. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal, and it's really jammed up a lot of m- instrument makers. And uh, because, you know, we don't really grow rosewood in the States, not right. that I'm aware of, so it's all imported. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's really been actually kind of a problem. But I didn't know that rosewood was that... I thought I didn't know it was endangered. Well, I, th- I, I guess it's... What they're trying to do is keep it from being endangered. Oh. And they're, you know, it's a wood that's in really high demand, and apparently there's a lot of illegal harvesting going on because it's in such high demand. And so they're trying to curtail illegal harvesting. Oh. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And so in order to ensure that the rosewood that you're buying is legit... Uh, now it has to have documentation. So I just don't know because I've been I've ordered a few necks uh, since this law was passed, and they had rosewood on them, and I didn't get any documentation with it. But it didn't cross a border to get to right. me. Right. So, but if I go to try to sell a guitar of mine that has rosewood on it across a border. They're going to want documentation, and I don't have any because it right. didn't come with it didn't come with the uh, the wood that I got. So I guess if you sell internationally, you'll have to op- offer maple necks only. Yeah, or I don't know. Take your chances. Um, what What's going to happen is I think it's it's bound to affect prices, and going forward, it's it's only going to get worse. It'll never be once it gets put on the list. It's never going to be taken off. Right. Right. And uh, it'll probably make rosewood more expensive because there's simply because there's more work behind it now. I mean, it's it takes time to get the documentation going, and right. and it takes man hours, and that costs money. Right. So, just because of the extra paperwork and legwork involved, uh, it's probably going to make rosewood more expensive. Um. Is it really going to affect you if you go into a guitar store and buy a guitar that has rosewood on it? No, not really. It's really not going to affect anybody unless they're crossing a border. If you're shipping a guitar across a border or if you're flying internationally with your guitar and it has rosewood, you could run into trouble. Hmm. 
Well, that stinks. It does. I understand, you know, they're trying to protect a, yeah. a species of wood that that is potentially threatened, you know. But I love my rosewood, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way it smells when I sand it. <laughs> it's beautiful. How often do you replace nut files? Oh, we're files? moving on, Yeah, huh? we're done. I'm sorry. Question. How often do you have to replace nut, nut files? I have a set, and they definitely have become less sharp than they were when they were new. They still cut, but just not as well as they did before. Some of my nut files are very old, though, and they still cut okay. Should I just consider the new feel of a sharp nut file to be a breaking-in phase? Do you replace dull nut files, or do you just use them as long as possible? As expensive as they are, I think I know what I will be doing, but I was curious to get a pro's feedback. Thanks, Jim Mailer. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, I have old nut files that, I mean, I have some that are older than I am. Wow. And they, uh, well, I'm not that old. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they they definitely get duller over time, but um, they still cut fine. There's really no way to sharpen them. I like to keep mine clean with a small uh, brass bristle, brass bristled brush say say that brass fast brush. brass bristled brush it looks like a little toothbrush except it has brass bristles try brushing your teeth with that no thanks and um you know i have nut files that are really old and i you know there's different kinds of nut files there's the really really thin ones and then there's kind of the tapered ones that get thicker in the middle mm-hmm. um but I've got a lot of all of the above, and I've I've rarely I rarely replace them unless they actually break. Uh, it doesn't bother me when they. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with the guy asking the question here. I'm with Jim. Uh, I'm considering the new feel of a sharp nut file to be a breaking in phase. Hmm. But I've known guys who. Man, they spend a fortune on tools, and they gotta have they gotta have brand new stuff like that. They gotta have new nut files all the time. Ouch! I know, and which I don't get because you know I re- I know how my nut files cut. I'm so used to them. Right. I can just really dial in a nut slot, and I and I really I almost never blow it and go too deep because that's a big problem. Oh yeah. That happens all the time. But if you have sharp, guys. if you have sharp nut files, yeah, you could really blow past the point of, yeah. of no return. Yeah, I, I guess Jim, and I never really thought too much about it, but I prefer them broken in, and I'm not, I don't replace them unless, All right. unless they break or they really need replacing. Well, thanks, Jim. Hey, Eric, what can you do to battle P ninety single coil noise? Do you make a single coil pickup with a dummy coil? Cheers, Jonathan and Victoria, B.C. Jonathan's hey, all right. Back. Jonathan's back. And we're glad you're okay, Jonathan. How was your vacation? Um, there's a few things you can do to, to battle the noise. Um, I've, I have installed a dummy coil in, in guitars before. It changes the tone just a little bit. Um, tell, tell me about a dummy coil. Well, a dummy coil is a coil that's not close to the strings, so it's not picking up the strings. It's but just it's, it's just in there to cancel hum. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
so you get single coil sound with no hum? Yeah. Or supposedly? Yeah, but it changes the... It, it, I don't know how to explain it. The best way, I think, okay. to battle P90 hum yes. is if you've got two P90s, uh, make sure that they're reverse wound, reverse polarity, and so you can have a, a hum-canceling position in the middle. So what if you only have one P90? It's going to hum. There's no way around it. There's just no way around it. P90 pickups, single coil pickups, hum. They have stacked P90s that have two coils, right, one on top of the other. Sure. But they just don't sound the same. Is that a dummy coil or is that different? I would not consider that a dummy coil. I would consider that a stacked humbucker. Okay. But in the shape of a P90. But again, they don't sound the same. If you want true P90 tone, you, you just have to embrace the hum and, and live with it. Here's the other thing you can do is, you know, especially in recording situations, position yourself so that the hum is lessened. Depending on where you are in reference to the amp, and, you know, you can rotate your body and get... Sure. Find a spot where there's almost where there's very little hum. Hmm. Just from the environment. Yeah, but um, it's it's tough, man. Sometimes you know if you're gigging and there's like you know fluorescent lights or a big Budweiser sign on the stage or something. Yeah. P nineties will pick up all of that stuff and really hum pretty bad. So. You just have to live with it if you want the P90 tone. That's really, uh, that's where I'm at with it. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. We're, we're glad you're back. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Glad to hear the move to Idaho is going well. Looking forward to the podcast going weekly. So here's a few questions to add to the pile. By the way, we are too. Um, I'm still trying to work on getting the website figured out for that and figuring out how to transfer the RSS feed. If anybody knows about this, yeah, you could give, drop me a line. But that'd I think be pretty good. You know, got top people. On okay, it. We've got our top people on it. Yeah. No, we're working towards it. Uh, first question. I have a nice Taylor acoustic I bought a couple years ago. I like to play in alternate tunings, mainly D A D G A D, which I like to say dad gad. <laughs> so I often a lot have of people <laughs> do. So I often have my guitar tuned down for a few weeks, and then I tune it back up to standard. My question is, should I be worried about the long-term effect on the guitar? Let's take these as they come. Okay. Uh, Dadgad, as they call it, is a an alternate tuning that's lower in tension. You're detuning your strings. Um and only a few of them. So should you be worried about the long-term effect on your guitar? No. Uh, it's actually probably, if anything, better for your guitar because there's less stress because the strings are looser. So I would not worry about that. Second question. I'm thinking of buying a guitar with a Bigsby tremolo, but Why? I've, I've heard they can <laughs> be sorry. a real pain to restring. Just, I'm just kidding. Any pro tips? That's the least of your troubles with a big, <laughs> with a Bixby. No, I, 
uh, I like to joke around that I'm anti-Bigsby. I've had guitars with Bigsby's. What? Yeah, I have. Uh, Not since I've known you. That's correct. But I have had guitars with Bigsby's. Um, yeah, they are a real pain to restring, but guess what? They're also a real pain to stay in tune. So, I mean, I don't know if you're, if you're really familiar with Bigsby's, but here's what I would tell you is go try out a bunch of guitars with Bigsby's first. Um, because, you know, I want you to be sure that you know what you're getting into here. There's ways to set it up that it'll make it behave a little better. But, yeah, they are a pain to restring. Um, my tip for that is, so to restring a Bigsby, um, there's a little pin, and the ball end slips on to the pin. Okay. And so in order to restring it, you take the string, and you bend the the end of the string where the ball end is. So now you've got kind of a string with a fish hook shape at the end. Okay. So you pre-bend that. And that will really help get that string onto the, get the ball end onto the pin on the Bigsby. And you put it through a hole on the Bigsby, I nope. assume? Th- you, oh, it just goes around pin, the... There's a pin and the ball end actually right. slips on onto okay. it. Yeah, I'm seeing it now. There's there's like a bar that, that the string goes around after the pin. There's a, there's a bar that the string goes comes around and on the underside of the bar, there's a pin sticking out and you have to slip the ball end... So onto the pin. There's a pin where the ball end goes onto. Are you just messing? <laughs> You're just messing with me now. Uh, question number three: What in the construction of Filtertron pickups gives them their unique sound? Is it the choice of magnets? Uh, yeah, they do have a bigger magnet, um, but mostly the difference in sound. I uh, Filtertrons are. A Gretsch pickup. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I do now. Filtertron is a Gretsch humbucking pickup, and they do have kind of a unique sound. They almost have kind of a a single coil sound, kind of a a lower output, brighter sound than than you would expect from, like, say, a Gibson-style humbucker. Hmm. And the reason for that is that uh, they are simply lower output, and they have, <clears throat> excuse me, and they have tall, kind of thin coils. So it's just a different construction. They have taller and thinner coils. They have a bigger magnet. And uh, I've heard a lot of people over the years talk about Filtertrons and say, oh, the reason those sound different is that they're, they're, they're two coils wild, wired in parallel not series. I've heard people say that, and that is not true. They wouldn't be humbucking then, would they? They are, well, they would, they would cancel hum. Oh, okay. But, um, they, that is not true. They are wired in series. Hmm. Yeah, there's, it's just that they're two very low output coils. I, I think each one is like two and a half K ohms. So they have less winds on them than a standard? Right. Okay. Yeah. Fewer fewer wines. It's a very underwound humbucker with a different shape, and a, it's they're taller coils and a bigger magnet, and it, all of that translates into a, uh, a kind of a brighter, spankier sounding humbucker. Spankier. 
Spankier. That's a good word. Well, did you just you make know that what up? I mean. You know what I mean. I'm sure many people have said spankier before I did. Question number four. Have you ever come across heritage guitars? Sure. Ex-Gibson employees are making guitars in the original Kalamazoo factory. If so, what do you think of them? Worth looking at? Sure, they're worth looking at if that's if that's the kind of thing that floats your boat. They're nice guitars. They're generally Gibson-esque. They're made in the old Gibson factory by sure. at the at the time that they split away by ex-Gibson employees. I'd be really surprised if there's any ex-Gibson employees working there now because that was a long time ago that they split off. Um, but yeah, I, in fact, I think they're still there. They're still they're still there in that building in Kalamazoo, oh, wow. Michigan. Yeah, cool. And the smokestack still still says Gibson. It's still there. I thought they were going to tear it down. I think that they actually saved the smokestack. Wow, yeah. cool. Um, question number five. More a guitar player question. What is your favorite vintage? Fender amp. Thinking about getting one, but not sure where to start. Hmm. Or are you going to read his... Uh... Oh, thanks and, and all the best for your new adventure. Warren from Not Raining at the Moment, Seattle. <laughs> well, wait. Just wait a minute, Warren. It'll be raining soon. Um, my favorite vintage Fender amp, it depends on the application, but if you're talking about something that would be loud enough to gig with uh my favorite is a vibrolux a fender vibrolux it has two 10 inch speakers it is kind of like a uh, kind of like a mini twin you know it's 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 a lot less power and it has two tens and uh and it weighs about 8 billion no, pounds no it's not that bad it's not heavy i think they're probably about 35 watts if i had to guess and uh, so they're kind of the perfect wattage and size and volume for playing clubs and whatnot. What does a uh, Vibrolux run? Oh, it depends on the year. It, it depends on what year it was made. If you wanted a an original one, like a, a 60s one, like a pre-CBS 60s one, they're probably 2500 bucks. Oh, uh, that's cheaper than I thought it would be. Yeah, maybe more, I'm guessing. I, I, I haven't looked it up recently. Um, I had one that I probably shouldn't have sold, but I did. I sold it. It was a 76, a silver face. Much more affordable to get a later model, a silver face. And honestly, I kind of would rather have one of those anyway. They have a little bit more clean headroom. Hmm. Yeah, and it's such a perfect... It's the perfect size amp uh, because... You can really turn it up and, and work it in a club setting, and it's not going to, you know, like a twin. A twin is so loud that you never get the thing past two or three, and if you do, you're just killing people with it. Wow. A twin is 100 watts. That's a lot. And so uh, I had a Pro for a while, which I think is 50 watts. It's a, it, a Pro has two 12s and is 50 watts, a Pro Reverb. And uh, it was too much, even. So I got the Vibrolux, which is two tens, two 10-inch speakers, 35 watts, and it's great. You know, you can run it at like 8 and get a little bit of natural uh, overdrive from just driving the amp hard. Great amplifier. I miss it. I miss mine. 
Um, but it just, like I say, it depends on your application. Because my other vintage favorite Fender vintage amp is a uh, a Princeton, a Princeton Reverb, because that's the smallest amp they make with reverb and tremolo. Hmm. And so it's kind of the perfect bedroom amp. They call it a bedroom amp. You're looking at me funny like I'm... <laughs> that's what they call it, a bedroom amp. It's just something you can play at home. Right. Yeah. Not something you do weird stuff. <laughs> what do you... Why are you... You're the one that started it. Uh, yeah, so it's the smallest amp they make with reverb and tremolo, so it's kind of perfect home amp, home volume. Bedroom. All right. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Warren. Hi, Eric. I'm making, or planning on making, a cooter caster. You know, a rye cooter guitar copy. And I'm reading about those crazy Valco lap steel pickups that one would use in the bridge bridge position. It seems that those pickups don't play well with other pickups for some reason. Something about phase problems. I don't fully understand the nature of the problem, but I want to try putting a three-way switch in there with a Tysco gold foil, and I'm reading that those pickups won't play nicely together. Is that true? What's going to happen if I wire it up so that both pickups are on in the middle position? Will it really not work, as people say? Can you explain Roman? Well. Uh, Roman, yes, I can. Those are weird pickups. So that, he's talking about those those crazy lap steel pickups that, that people uh, take off the lap steel and put them on a strat. Is it one that goes around the strings? Yeah, it's got like a, well, yeah, it's, yeah. It's got like a slot that the strings pass through. And the coil is on the outside? Or? The coil is underneath the strings, oh, but okay. it just has a plate that goes over the strings. Anyway, oh, okay. the deal on those is that the, th- the three bass strings are out of phase with the three treble strings. So it's two separate coils? It's basically two separate pickups under there. And it doesn't matter if you're just playing that pickup by itself because you you wouldn't hear anything strange. Right. But once you mix it with another pickup, you end up with either your bass strings out of phase or your treble strings out of phase. I'm still not sure what out of phase means, but... You have to hear it. You know, one of these days... I'm just going to have to plug in the old guitar and show people what out of phase sounds like. I would say 90% of the audience knows if you're a guitar freak, you know what an out of what out of phase what a, the out of phase sound sounds like. But well, I guess I'm not a guitar freak. Well, you you host a guitar podcast. No, I co-host a guitar. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good point. Um, but that's the problem, is if you mix that pickup with another pickup, depending on how you hook it up, either your bass strings are out of phase or your treble strings are out of phase. Now, some people call that a problem. I call it an awesome opportunity. The problem is the solution. To get That's right. An awesome opportunity to get crazy sound. And so I've actually made cooter casters before with a four-way switch. And uh, made it so that you've got 
your bridge pickup, your neck pickup on the other side, and then two positions in the middle where you've got... Uh, no, no, no. I used a five-way switch. I'm sorry. I used a five-way switch. You can't do it with the this, this standard four-way switch. You have to use the five-way super switch to do this. But um, you can get two separate out-of-phase settings. One where the uh, treble strings are out of phase and one where the bass strings are out of phase. And it's great. Huh. Yeah, I think it's great. I actually, I mean, I think it's a bonus because it gives it a really, really unique couple of extra settings. Huh. Does that make sense? Did I answer his question yeah. properly? Because yeah. You absolutely, uh, if I knew what out of phase meant, I, I would know all about it now. Well, it's just a... Just a sound. It's a sound. What happens is... Um, it, 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 you know that crazy swirling effect that you hear sometimes on ELO records or on... <laughs> or uh, on yeah, I guess different, so. It's phasing. And what ha- what's happening is there's a, the wave, right, mm-hmm. of the audio. Mm-hmm. And if there's two of them, as they move back and forth, oh, uh, some of the frequencies get canceled out. Okay. So rather than a swirling effect, when it's just two static sources, right, and they're canceling out some of their uh, frequencies, so rather than rather than adding to each other's sound. They're canceling out some of each other's frequencies. Okay. And so you end up with this, like, like you plug your nose. Like a quacky sound? A, a weird nasal, uh, thin, kind of thin-sounding, biting tone. Interesting. That really cuts, by the way, through a mix. <laughs> it really cuts. If you can't tell, I, ha- I use a lot of out-of-phase settings on my own personal guitars. I love the sound. Albert King is famous for using out-of-phase sounds. Uh, Peter Green, the early Fleetwood Mac guitar player, used a lot of -of out-of-phase sounds. I love out-of-phase sounds. It's a great great sound, actually, I think. Cool. Well, thanks for the question, Roman. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. In your description of the different types of nut materials, you left out metal. Surprising, (laughs) since you seem to be a Dan Electro fan care to revisit that keep up the show frank in utah thanks frank i think you just did um yeah i I guess i i don't remember the uh the episode he's referring to i guess we were talking about different nut materials i think it was pretty recently maybe even just the last episode yeah uh and i left out metal well metal is definitely one of the materials that that is used in in making nuts Certainly. It's never my go-to thing. I deal with it on Dan Electro's because it's, you know, part of their whole thing. They have a little weird aluminum nut that's actually screwed into the end of the fingerboard. How would you adjust the nut heights? It's aluminum, which is a soft enough metal that you can just file it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, like, brass, using brass for nut material was kind of a fad years ago and you don't really don't see it anymore. Hmm. 
So yeah, I really didn't think to mention metal, but you're right. You're absolutely right. It is definitely something that you do see. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for pointing out our mistake, Frank. Eh, it wasn't a mistake. He's just being friendly. <laughs> a heavy, long, thin sanding block is used for a fret level. Sandpaper is glued to the bottom. Once the sandpaper is worn out, what is a good method to remove it cleanly so a new strip can be installed to a smooth surface? David Hagman. Thanks, David. I use a big metal sanding block. Uh, it's like a, a long, hollow metal rectangular tube that I got from Stuart McDonald. And the sandpaper that I use uh, comes in a roll. It's like a roll of tape. It's like sandpaper tape, and it has ad- adhesive. You know, you just unroll it, stick it on the thing, and then you can use it on your fingerboard or on your frets. And when that sandpaper is worn out, I use uh, naphtha to get it off. Uh, naphtha is basically Ronsonol or lighter fluid. N-A-P-T-H-A, naphtha. And uh, I don't know if he's uh, talking about the same situation or not, because I never glue sandpaper to that thing. I just use adhesive. You can alternately just use sandpaper and double-sided tape and make your own sure. make your own ad- adhesive sandpaper. But yeah, naphtha does works wonders getting off that adhesive. So. That's what I use. Thanks, David. Oh, should we uh, should we take a break? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, we'll be right back. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat, 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. 
I'm going to tell you what, if I have the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit MelcoLeather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or MelcoLeather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. MelcoLeather.com. M-E-L-C-O-Leather.com. Hey, Eric and Melissa. I was interested in your advice about changing all the strings at once or only one at a time. I recently asked my local luthier about this, and he basically said the same thing. I always thought that the reason to change strings one at a time was to prevent prevent the neck from getting out of whack. But he said unless you needed to get to use this guitar on stage immediately, it wouldn't be a problem. But here's my question. Would you give the same advice for an archtop guitar with a movable bridge? Seems to me that if you tried to change all the strings at once, you'd have a hard time not messing up the bridge position. Hmm. Good point. Um, but the, the thing about it is, uh, when, if I'm restringing an arch top, then, uh, I would still do the same thing. I'd still take off all the strings and then I'd reset the uh, bridge when I'm done in the proper position. So it just depends on whether or not you're confident enough to, uh, reset the intonation once you're done. What you can do is uh, certainly do one string at a time, but what if you need to clean the fingerboard or, you know, polish up the frets or something? So uh, what you can do is just mark either with tape or you can take a fine point Sharpie, a fine point felt tip marker, and mark where uh, where the bridge goes. Don't do that on a vintage guitar, though. Yeah, no. I mean, you can, but whatever. Uh, I mean, just a tiny little Sharpie mark. I mean, we're talking about the fine point. Yeah, right. Just mark where the corners go. Uh, But yeah, you can do it with tape. Again, you know, be careful on vintage instruments. You don't want to peel off a bunch of finish with your tape. Yeah, that would not be good. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Anonymous. <laughs> Yo, Eric and Mel, I'm kind of bummed that you left Emerald City Guitars, Eric. You were my go- go-to guy for all my guitar repairs and setups. Keep up the awesome work in Idaho and enjoy the dry weather. Thank you. We are. So I recently purchased a beautiful Gibson SG with a standard tunematic fixed bridge. The guitar plays very nicely, but I noticed that when I either press down firmly on chords at the first few frets, it goes out of tune unless I barely apply pressure. This doesn't mean I have to retune every time, but it seems that when I press and release, it causes the strings to flex up and go sharp. Also, when I hit the strings a little hard, it tends to lose tuning but comes back. Again, no need to retune. Just when I hit it, it firmly warbles out of tune, then comes back. I've been a Fender guy up to this point, but I have played Les Pauls and SGs before. 
I did notice that you can play a Gibson gently and get a big sound. I don't hit the SG really that hard and play with just my fingers a lot. Any suggestions? New strings was my first guess. Thanks, Elliot in Seattle. Yeah, you know, f- fresh strings is is always something to to try when you're having problems. But my guess here is it's one of two things or it's a combination of two things. And that would be that your nut slots are too high. And so when you're playing down there in the first position, the strings are going sharp because they have to go a long way. The other uh, thing that might be going on is, you say you're more of a Fender guy, those those Gibsons have pretty big frets. And you can, you can bend the string sharp just because um, you're not used to big frets. And uh, if you apply too much pressure at all, you can really, you can really bend it way out of tune. So it's one of those two things or a combination of the two. If it's a new, a brand new SG, I don't think he said whether it was new or used. Yeah. If it's, if it's straight from the factory and it's never been set up, then I can tell you right now, it's probably the nut slots because they just don't do a very good job dialing those in. You really should have it set up and see, if you haven't already, have it set up and see if that fixes your problem because a competent tech is going to dial in those nut slots and uh, put them at the right height for you, and that should get you going um, unless you just have, you know, iron hand death grip <laughs> there. That might be a problem. But, yeah, it's one of those two things, Elliot. That's what I think, man. Thanks for the question. Eric, I have listened to several episodes of your podcast and wanted to thank you for taking the time and energy with your co-host to share the knowledge you have gained from working on 20,000-plus guitars. <laughs> Thanks. I have been researching hollow-body and semi, semi-hollow-body electric guitars, and I am pretty overwhelmed by, the, by all the alter, alternatives that are out there. Of the hollow-body and se- semi-hollow-body guitars you have repaired, set up, played, etc., is there a specific guitar maker that stands out for quality and value? My budget is pretty limited, and I don't have the background and e- expertise to find a guitar that needs a bunch of work. I am looking for a classic jazz sound. Kenny Burrell, West, Montgo- West Montgomery, etc. It's Kenny Burrell. Oh, thanks. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts are appreciated. Thank you again for your podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. I don't know what limited means as far as your budget goes, but I'm, you know, I'm guessing you're talking about under a thousand dollars. And uh, the the guitar company that that kind of sp- is coming to mind, and I might, yeah, I might regret this later, but yeah, the one that comes to mind is the Lore. T-H-E-L-O-A-R. And it's a reference to Lloyd Lohr of Gibson fame, who designed a bunch of instruments for Gibson. But, um, yeah, a company called The Lohr, and I think their website is just thelohr.com. They've got... That's basically what they do, is is kind of jazz guitars. Why would you regret saying that? Well, because people are going to write in and go, I can't believe you've recommended those. They suck. Oh, but he's asking for a budget guitar. And, you know, so wait, for the they, money, they're pretty good. They're five, oh, okay. six, seven hundred bucks. And I think they're good. Uh, you know, obvious 
an obvious uh, recommendation would be an Epiphone, but I just don't go there because, to me, an Epiphone kind of, and I'm sorry to say this too, Epiphone kind of has a stigma of being junk. Junky. Right. The lower, those look nice. They play nice. They're decent guitars. You're going to have to get it set up. It's not going to be set up from the factory or from the store. Um, So if you get one of those or really any new, you know, Asian made or even American made guitar, they just don't set them up from the factory as I was just discussing, as I was just discussing on the last question. It was disgusting. As I was just disgusting. (laughs) Um, the lower, check it out and, uh, go ahead and write me hate mail if you think that that's a dumb suggestion. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast. If this has been covered before, my apologies. I'm still catching up on back episodes. I just acquired a 1959 Fender Musicaster, the 22 and a half inch scale length version. It's a music master. What did I say? You said music caster, which... Oh, that's different. Yeah. Music Master. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 22.5-inch scale-length version, just to have a little bit of Fender history that's still within the price range of mere mortals. It turned out to be a very cool little guitar, sounds good, and plays great. Only one problem. It, and the original case it came with, positively reeks of cigarette smoke. Will that dissipate to some degree with fresh air and time? What would you do to... A- if- for each to aid the process. Is naphtha safe for a vintage nitro? Thanks for your thoughts, Tim. Cool, Tim. Naphtha is safe on, on nitrocellulose lacquer, yes. Um, yeah. I get this question from time to time, and I'm never quite sure what to say, because it's really not a guitar right. question. It's a question about cigarette smoke and getting... I mean, you could ask me the same question about your car. You know, the car smells like cigarette smoke. I don't really know how to get that out of there other than to tell you a few tricks that I've heard over the years. Okay. Dryer sheets in the case. Well, yeah. I've heard of people pouring baking soda in the case and then vacuuming it, vacuuming it out. That sounds messy. Well, yes. I've heard um, people say that if you leave the case in the sun a little bit, that that will help somehow kind of dissipate the smoke smell. I've heard a lot of people um, hosing down the case with Febreze. Yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah. So these are all things that I've heard... I don't know. I've never really experimented with it. It's not It's not really a, you know, nobody brings me their guitar and says it stinks. Can you fix that? <laughs> they just call me on the phone and say, my guitar stinks. What do I do? And I never really know what to say. Um, it's a tough question. Uh, naphtha is a good kind of uh, solvent that won't damage the finish that you could rub the whole guitar down with naphtha and see if that helps, but... Smoke is pretty insidious, man. It just really clings on to stuff, and I don't know if, honestly, I don't know if you'll ever get it out, Tim. I'm I'm sorry to say that, you know, but... You know what you can do is, you know those pine-shaped air fresheners? You could put a couple the, of those the in the case. Yeah, and then it would smell like a forest fire. You know, well, I don't want to tell you my idea because somebody's going to steal it. Uh-oh. 
Yeah. But are you going to tell us someday that I will have a product for sale that might help you in in a way. However, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I like I say. Other than those few suggestions that I've heard of people doing over the years, um, I don't have. I really don't have a good cure-all silver bullet solution. But if you come up with something, man, you let me know. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Here's a question for you. What is a tool that you don't use very often, but it's invaluable when you need it? Hmm. Are there several? I'm always on the lookout for making my life easier in the repair shop. And I know that there's tools out there that I don't even know that I need yet. Ben in Tacoma. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah, there's a few. You know, what's really an invaluable tool is my neck press. It's a neck heating press right. to straighten out necks. And I had to make it myself because you can't really find them for sale anymore. I worked in a repair shop 20 years ago in the 90s that had several, and they were made by Aria, you know, the guitar company, the Asian guitar company. And, uh, man, they were fabulous, but they don't sell them anymore. LMI sold them for a while. Luthiers Mercantile sold them for a while. But uh, they don't offer them anymore. Are they dangerous or something? Well, why does they, anybody sell because, them? Because because you clamp it to the neck and then heat the crap out of it, and it's an easily abused thing, and you can really ruin a guitar pretty quick with it. Hmm. And so it's not for the faint of heart. You really need to know what you're doing. But uh, I don't see them for sale anymore. I don't know if they've fallen out of favor. They work like a champ. I mean, if you know what you're doing, you can straighten out a neck that doesn't have a truss rod. Wow. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, and it, it's also, it, it helps. Say you need to take off a fingerboard, and that's glued on with hide glue. Yeah. You clamp it to your neck heater, heat it up. It just comes right off. It helps a lot. So it's a multi-use tool. And it is pretty invaluable. But again, like I say, I had to make my own. So that's one. Um, you know, there's a tool that Stuart McDonald sells. There's two of them that come to mind that I almost never use them. But when I need them, holy cow, are they invaluable. One is called the Truss Rod Rescue Kit. Stuart McDonald makes a, a kit called the Truss Rod Rescue Kit. And basically what it does is it um, fixes a broken truss rod. If it's, if it's snapped off by the nut, then you, you can re-thread the rod. It, it removes a little bit of wood. It has this slick little thing that fits over the truss rod, and then these teeth that cut into the wood and digs a deeper channel. And then it has a special tool that th puts more threads on the rod, so you re-thread the rod. So now you've got a little bit more truss rod to deal with that is amazing that's a brilliant tool i love it uh works on fenders and gibsons they've got attachments for both truss rod rescue kit the thing is great i've that's whoever invented that needs it i've had it for years firm I've, handshake i've probably only used it six or eight times but man when you need it i tell you yeah that's awesome you can't beat it what else 
the other one that they tool that they make that I kind of like, and it's it really would be a no no on a on a vintage guitar. So don't do this on your pre war Martin, but uh, it's the bridge plate saver, and it cuts a little. You know, and your bridge plate gets all chewed up from from ball ends on your acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And this little doodad f- goes through the the um, the hole in the bridge, and then on the underside, there's a little cutting head that threads onto a rod. And as it threads, it cuts out a little kind of an a convex or concave. What is it called concave. when it's like this? Concave. A little um plug it cuts out of the bridge plate and then it's got it's got a um an additional little cutting thing that you put in a drill or a or a drill press and you cut a plug that fits perfectly in the notch that you just cut out of it so it removes the damaged wood and then you then you can cut a plug that fits perfectly in the hole Wow. And then you redrill the hole, and you've got a brand new, fresh surface on your bridge pad, on your bridge plate. And it's all hidden. Right. It's all internal in the guitar. I That's mean, you'd, amazing. You'd have to stick a mirror in there to see it. And again, it's not something you'd want to do on a really valuable guitar. Um, messing with bridge plates is <laughs> really frowned on by vintage Martin collectors, man. They go nuts about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, if you've got a guitar that, yeah, I don't know. Well, those are cool inventions. Yeah, they really are. I, I tell you, like I say, they're kind of invaluable when you need them. They're, they've, I've, I don't even, I don't think I've used the bridge plate tool as much as I've used the truss rod tool, but it's, it's come in handy a couple of times. Hmm. So there you go. How's that? Thanks, Ben. Yeah. The truss rod on my 66 Strat is maxed out. That is, it, it is as tight as I dare get it, but it still needs to be tightened in order to get it straight. It still has a little bit of bow in it. If this is a, if this as bad of a problem as it, I think it's going to be, or is there something I can do to fix it? How would you fix it? Thanks, Larry in Alberta. Is this as bad of a problem as I think it's going to be, or is there something I can do to fix it? Uh, Larry, I tell you what I would do. You you may need to have uh, the neck heater I was just talking about applied to it, but we don't want to go nuclear just yet. What I would do, if it were mine, um, is I would loosen the truss rod nut all the way. This is a vintage strat, right? Where it's yeah, 66. yeah 66 so it's heel adjust you can't do this on one of the new strats that have the the weird dual action headstock adjustment piece of garbage truss rod this is the vintage uh truss rod where you, so you you take the take the adjustment nut all the way loose take it all the way off the neck and then uh put a little bit of oil on the threads and you can put a washer on the rod uh, but I would only do that if you know take a look before you before you back off the truss rod adjustment nut 
take a look and see if it's kind of sunk down inside the hole. If it's kind of recessed, then I would add a washer. If it's not recessed, if it's still kind of flush with the surface of the of the heel, then don't add a washer. But you can either add a washer or not, depending on what's going on there. But take the nut all the way out, oil the threads, and then clamp the neck with some clamps. And you can either use a board and some shims or your workbench and some shims and clamp it to get a little bit of back bow, basically. Clamp it into where you want it to be. Because, you know, typically you would want that neck to have just a little bit of back bow and then the tension of the strings, are gonna, it's going to pull it straight. Right. So clamp it with using a, a clamp in the middle of the neck and then shims on the outside, like under the first fret and under the last fret. Clamp it so that it's got some, a little bit of band in it. That's the way you want it. And then put the truss rod nut back on. That seems backwards. It seems like you should have shims in the middle and you should be bending it back so when the... Nope. You put the clamp in the middle and then shims on the outside so that it's... But then how does the string bring it back to straight? Because the string is pulling it from the headstock. Are we talking fingerboard down or fingerboard up? So when you clamp it, the shims are on the fingerboard side. Okay. that's I was thinking the opposite of that. Okay. That's yeah. why. Melissa's not a guitar tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you want to clamp it so that you've got some some bow to it, some back bow. And then with your freshly oiled adjustment nut, you put it back on, tighten it up, you know? Right. And uh, you might have to tighten it up pretty tight and uh, take off the clamps and see where it's at. You can try that a couple of different times and, you know, see how much you need to shim it and how much you need to clamp it to kind of get it to work. But basically the idea is we're letting the clamp and the shims do the work and then the truss rod nut is just going to snug up to where that is. Sure. Rather than try to torque on that little nut and try to make it do all the work. Right. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. That's my suggestion. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for the question. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. I really appreciate you participating in the show. You're welcome. Oh. Not you. Well, you too. Okay. But, you know, you, the listener. And uh, stay tuned for more episodes and more frequent episodes as well. Um, fretfiles.com is where we're going to be found. We, you can, we can be found there now, but going forward, fretfiles.com is going to be where to find us. If uh, you somehow lose us in the transition, then you're gonna, you might have to look for the RSS feed again as we transition to a different website and more frequent podcasts. But we'll be there. We will be out there. Just look us up. And, uh, yeah, thanks.